everyone. My name is Maria Thomas, and I work for Allianz Research, the global team of economists, strategists, sector advisors, and foresight experts of the Allianz Group, led by Ludovic Subron. Welcome to Tomorrow, a podcast where we'll be talking about our latest analyses of economic and capital market developments, as well as our views on trends affecting risk management. Let's get started. COP26 has been the center of attention this month, but when it comes to the green transition in the transport and utility sectors, the EU has a long way to go, especially as it faces a huge investment gap. In this episode, we find out what it will take to close this investment gap with senior ESG expert Marcus Zimmer. Hello, Marcus. Welcome back to the podcast. Hello, Maria. Thank you for having me. So let's start with talking about um, COP26 since it just uh, wrapped up. Were there any surprises? You know, can you tell us about what was achieved and what was maybe less satisfying? Well, um, I think the COP26 was a particular important event with lots and high expectations up front. And uh, as the outcome came, uh, it was not exactly what was in line with what we have hoped for. So uh, in that respect, it was kind uh, it kind of failed. But uh, on the other hand, it uh, was more probably than you could have expected. So uh, it's it's pretty much halfway between uh, showing progress uh, just enough to keep the hope to achieve 1.5 degree of global warming life. Um, but it, it did not really achieve the three main goals uh, that we had up front. And uh, I mean, the most prominent goal uh, was to to get the NDCs updated. So the national determined contributions, the uh, pledges to reduce uh, emissions. So it, uh, to a level that would uh, reach 1.5 degrees. So most likely to the pledges that actually were handed in, we are now on the road for 2.1 degree of global warming. So down 0.6 per, uh, degree uh, from the 2.7 degree we had before the COP last year, and uh, but still missing uh, 0.6 degree to the 1.5 degree. So it's it's exactly in the middle. Um, so we, we have another round uh, scheduled um, out of uh, the regular schedule for next year to update the NDCs and hopefully to at least realize this missing uh, submittance of pledges that uh, were announced already, which would bring us to 1.8 degree at least. So and the other, the other um, up or downside was that we still uh, didn't reach the hundred billion dollars of climate finance that were that uh, were promised uh, since two thousand and nine for this year onwards, uh, last year onwards already, and uh, we are, we are still more at eighty billion than at the hundred billion, and we're probably not going to reach the hundred billion before twenty twenty three, and uh, the. Third thing is that finally um, we uh, got an agreement on the Paris rule book. So we, we now have uh, more rules covering the uh, interaction between the states in uh, progressing for climate change um, avoidance and cooperation, uh, particularly uh, in the scope of establishing international carbon credit markets. So markets that allow you 
to trade emission reductions from projects um, that achieve uh, emission reductions by, for example, reforestation or by uh, installing more um, renewables uh, that uh, uh, result in, in less emissions in your energy system. So this sets the stage, I think, for us to look more closely at two uh, recent reports that you did focused on the green transition, specifically um, in two key sectors, transport and utilities. So you wrote that the EU has a very long way to go to comply with the 1.5 degrees Celsius target, um, despite the recently announced Fit for 55 program. So firstly, can you explain for our listeners, what is um, Fit for 55 about? Yeah, that. That sounds fit for fifty five. Sounds like like a pensioners program. Uh, so um, apparently, uh, it sounds much more like a pensioners program when you frame it in the way that it needed to be, which would be a fit for sixty five program. So what does the fifty five refer, refer to? It refers to the emit, emission reductions you want to achieve in the year twenty thirty. So that means uh, a reduction of fifty five percent. And uh, the, the main uh, point is that the EU started off uh, when uh, sketching out the proposal with 60%, uh, with uh, 60% emission reduction arguably being just enough to claim to be 1.5 degree conform. Uh, but that ambition level was was hard to hold. So, so we ended up uh, with... Uh, 55% of emission, emission reduction by 2030, while signs uh, rather uh, suggest to be certain that you are on a 1.5 degree path, you should aim more at 65, around 65%. So let's look at the EU's transport sector specifically then. Can you tell us how big is the problem? Yeah, it's, it's very hard to measure and very abstract to measure uh, how far away the planned transition pathway is from what we actually need. So um, what we see is that the, the Fit for 55 proposal as a whole um, is more in line with roughly two degree uh, of climate warming. So with what the EU has would have to contribute uh, in a sensible way. So uh, that, that means like uh, you're probably away half a degree from, from where you want to go. Um, that is not, not so helpful because it's, it's very abstract. And also you have to decide on uh, where you try to be more ambitious because uh, in some sectors uh, that you is already pretty ambitious in others, maybe not so much. And um, so, so we tried to compare the EU plan for the transition pathways in the different sectors, which with what science suggests, uh, particularly uh, the one of climate model, for example, or the network for greening the financial system pathways. And looking at that, we can see that, for example, for the network of greening the financial sector, the implementation of the transport sector measures would have to speed up. And probably by 2030, we are lacking behind three years behind the schedule, the implementation schedule that would be needed for achieving 1.5 degree. So what would um, what what are the main you know investments needed primarily needed across this sector? 
So that's a uh, transport is very diverse. Um, so we, we uh, only split it down to three parts. So basically um, land transport, mostly road transport, um, shipping and aviation. So not, not really a focus on rail. That's uh, because that's not on the, so much on the emission side. Um, if, if we look at this, this three uh, high emitting sectors that are also particularly hard to abate, uh, we, we see three uh, key solutions. So um, in the road transport sector, it's, it's electrification and they're dominantly really uh, battery-driven electric uh, vehicles. In the sh uh, shipping sector and in the aviation sector, uh, batteries are probably not a very good solution. Also, <clears throat> hydrogen directly is often uh, difficult, um, particularly because of the storage uh, issues. So um, the, there we, we are aiming at uh, synthetic fuels, and uh, the synthetic fuels produced uh, from green electricity, so via uh, hydrogen and then transformed to um, synthetic liquid fuels or gaseous fuels, um, and then used in, in the sector respectively. So for the aviation sector, the um, EU has this mandate to have um, mandatory additions in percentage wise uh, to the aviation fuel so this this um, results in um, slowly uh, transmitting to to a clean system in the shipping they were more vague um, because there it's more options that you have you actually can have battery chips for for some um, purposes um, in other purposes you would like ammonia as a fuel for example so there they uh, are more focused on the efficiency of uh, the transport so reducing the emissions um, rather than uh, telling uh, which type or which percentage of um, renewable fuel you have to use uh, so in, in general so with the cars uh, of course um, Beside uh, have beside phasing out uh, combustion engines um, as quick as possible. Uh, so now latest by twenty thirty five for at least passengers cars and uh, light commercial vehicles. Uh, beside that, you also need to ramp up the charging infrastructure accordingly. And in general, what we can see in all in all three sectors is uh, that we have already planned massive annual investments, but still the yearly investments lag behind to achieve the 1.5 degree goal. And we don't need to increase the total investment until 2050, uh, because until 2050, uh, the, the whole system uh, should be transformed. But what we would need is to, um, to front load emissions from later periods to the time now to until 2030. And uh, that would mean in general to increase um, the investments by another one third of what is currently planned. So then moving to utilities, how big would you say the investment gap is here and what are the most pressing concerns? So uh, having the same, the same logic in, in mind, um, 
in the utility sector, the uh, implementation gap is rather around uh, five years that we lag behind until 2030. And um, this is, is related to two things mainly. Uh, one thing is that we are still not ambitious enough in phasing out coal. Uh, and uh, the other thing is that we are uh, much slower than anticipated in rolling out renewables, particularly wind and solar. Okay, so how do we accelerate the green transition then in these sectors? What would you say policymakers need to prioritize? Yeah, uh, as I said, so <laughs> we have to to speed up how, how we roll out uh, the renewables. Um, uh, particularly, we want to be in line with what we what we had earlier, with the particular with the transport sector, who needs all that energy for the synthetic fuels, but also for charging uh, the road vehicles. And uh, to achieve that, uh, one thing is that we have really a bureaucracy issue. So um, the processes until from from when you want to build a, a windmill, for example, until it's actually installed, it, it takes much, much, much too much time and often uh, projects don't even get, get through. So so we need to, to really work on that to streamline these processes, that this is uh, very clear timelines uh, that you can say, okay, when, uh, for example, in some countries, um, these capacities for uh, wind power plants are auctioned. And there should be a, a clear timeline that from the time that uh, this is auctioned, that you win the bid until you are able to build, uh, actually, there should be only two years, probably. That that would help uh, instead of seven or nothing. So um, the other thing is um, that higher carbon prices are very supportive of the transition. And the higher carbon prices really uh, allow for two things. One thing, you get an automatic uh, phase out of coal. So you reduce emissions much co uh, quicker on that side. So even on the, the levels that we've seen uh, this year, around 65 euros in the European emission trading system, coal has no business model. So this, if we keep up this pricing, we won't see uh, coal in the market by 2030 anyway. Uh, but then we have to substitute this capacity. So somehow we want to stabilize the energy system and to satisfy all the additional uh, electricity demand. So there we really have to speed up the implementation and basically triple the annual installation of solar and wind to uh, achieve the needed, needed level. And again, uh, that, that means a, a massive um, front-loading of investments. So uh, probably um, we think alone for the uh, coal phase-out, for example, it's 100 billion euros that is needed to achieve the wanted goal. All right. Well, thank you very much, Marcus. We'll speak to you next time. Thank you, Maria. And uh, it was a pleasure as always. And looking forward to the next time. Thank you so much for listening. You can find the full report we just spoke about on our website. We'll leave a link in the show notes. If you'd like to discover more of our research, 
You can also follow the Ludonomics newsletter on LinkedIn. We'll leave a link down below for that too. If you like the podcast, please send it to any of your friends who might like it too, and leave us a rating and a review. We'd love to hear your feedback. In the meantime, stay tuned for the next episode. Thank you.